Adult content intended for an adult audience only. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. Contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link above to further support this writer. X-Ray Vision Part 03 by Elaine Mature I woke as I usually do, since I was a kid, on my back, my mind's eye in the sky. So constant awareness of my surroundings won't stir my subconscious and invade my dreams. Just the occasional bird or airplane, a passing satellite. Probably why I dreamt of flying so often. Why I lived in a condo on the beach, nothing above me, little below me, an entire segment of my horizon uninhabited. It's so peaceful for me. First thing turn my head, check on Jillian. Sleeping warm, resting heart rate, breathing fine. Empty sinuses, the clear air of the ocean helps, not allergic to much. She's gonna wake soon, have a wicked pee. Then she'll be hungry, her stomach empty and unsettled. No infections, no fluids or swelling where they didn't belong. Other than her blister, reduced, drying up, be healed by tonight. If she wears thicker socks or sensible shoes today, which she likely won't. I looked a little longer than strictly necessary. To check on her well-being. Okay, perving on her. Firm breasts, lapping her chest as she lay on her side, adorably sexy female, just enough tits to be a woman and not a girl. Those hips firm, full, strong. Flat stomach, the secret between her legs, no secret to me. Face I love, at peace in her sleep, slightly pouty upper lip, high cheekbones, broad forehead. That tongue, almost prehensile, so exciting when we kissed. Straight teeth, no cracks, no cavities. Eyes so perfect with clear fluid, velvety retina. Idle, I thought of being a doctor again. It had never seemed important before, lots of people smarter than me going that way. Medicine had not been kind to my family, letting my mother suffer, ignoring my father's depression. Now I had people I cared about deeply. Jillian, and now her family Kang and Fuang. Maybe my family if all went well between us. A twinge of alarm over that, what was that about? A gut reaction I guess getting close to someone meant risking the pain again. Since my folks had died I'd always thought I didn't want a family, not ever want to feel that again. Maybe I could face it now. I'm not a child, I'll understand better, not feel so helpless. Is it worth it? Yes. They were worth it. My mother and father had been worth it. I am stronger now. It hurt because I loved them. That was how the world works. Nothing got erased by pain. All the good was still there. And it is good. Jillian is very much the center of my life. I'd been rootless, wandering, idle. Now I wanted to be her man like I wanted breath. She's stirring. Enough lazing about. She's got to get off to work. I could help, make some coffee, put a bagel in the toaster. As I heated the electric kettle I heard her shifting about, glanced to see she was up, no longer limping, heading into pee. Why did she work anyway? We were rich, as much money as we cared to find. We could make thousands a day, just by beachcombing or walking the streets. I guess I know why. Because I'm not a sure thing, this isn't a sure thing. She's been burned once, no all her life, by promises people didn't keep. And because she's an adult, a caring person who wants to be involved in the world, to take part in important activities. To make a difference to others by applying her skills and talents. I found myself smiling, thinking of her enthusiasm, her kindness, her youthful energy. Hey big guy, where are my shoes? She'd come in with a blister last night, had kicked them off first thing. Glancing around the condo I spotted them behind the door. Street door! Behind the yeah? She'd remembered, had gone to get them. Still, it felt nice to be able to find stuff for her. My one party trick. She came into the kitchen carrying her shoes, took a hot cup from me, kissed me on the cheek, took that vital first sip. Shuddered coffee going down rough on an empty stomach. Should I wear these again? Is my blister up to it? She asked automatically, knowing I knew, liking that I knew. Depending on me for useful intel like that. How about I call a cab? Just this once. Give it one more day. Or wear those beach shoes. She scowled at the beach shoes, nodded. The toaster popped, she hooked one half with her pinky, set it on the counter. Finished getting dressed. I'll put some peanut butter on that. Another peck on the cheek, she retreated to the stuffed chair with her shoes and coffee. Peanut butter applied, thick like she wanted, then called the cab company. Ten minutes, perfect. She'd have taken half an hour walking anyway. 
Client coming in. No, a lawyer. They hate being called clients. She took too big a bite. Chewed like a dog that had eaten. Well, peanut butter. Took a sip of coffee to melt it. You meeting with our customers already? She waved the bagel as she struggled into a shoe with the other hand. Been meeting them since I showed up. Getting put on phones to learn the patter. No, this guy is new. Wants to make a deal with the boss. Get some of his clients hooked up. I nodded, totally in the dark. Well, as long as she knew. She stood, tried the shoe, seemed all right. Finished the coffee, handed the cup to me, another peck, this time on the lips. Um, peanut butter. See you after work? I'm having lunch with Kang. She called late last night, scoping out this fong session, what to expect. Sure. Have fun. Say hi for me. She was already at the door, just in time to hear the cab driver honk. Bye. Sudden silence. It seemed too still. Funny, last week this was what it sounded like all the time. I'm already missing her. How to spend the day. I had come up with an idea. Now with Jillian in my life I could think of things to do so much easier. Days used to be a chore, something to be lived through. Now I filled them without any effort. I had an old find to reinvestigate. Long ago I spotted something interesting, but it was hard to get to, maybe dangerous. Today I'd do some research in the library, the courthouse, see what I could learn. I didn't need blueprints or pictures. I knew everything about the place inside and out. Except who it belonged to, whose old valuables I planned to filch. I wouldn't take something if I could return it instead. The library was past downtown, in the old city center, same block as the courthouse. I looked up history that way before, which is how I knew about the old fort, the early days of the city founding. Today I wanted some commercial history, a hotel from the early 1900s, the Art Deco period. That had seen some fabulous fortunes come and go, great families build great monuments, and then lose them. The library had old local newspapers in a special collection. I didn't need to check them out, just read them. Holding a modern paperback in front of me as a prop, I sat outside the special collections room, scanned the stacks methodically, found the right era. It was a matter of looking for pictures I recognized, of the building or the block. I could run down a stack of newspapers like flipping through a book, the images flashing in my mind. It took half an hour but in 1933 a new hotel was constructed, a full-page photograph of the front I recognized. The Richardson Building. Bingo. Squire Richardson was a builder's son who studied law, worked for the best families of the day. He married a Vanderbilt granddaughter or grand cousin, it wasn't clear. But they had money, and spent it building things. Family business after all. Squire and Mrs. Richardson built the most stylish hotel of the day with a penthouse apartment reserved for themselves. All the fittings are deco style, the latest art and wallpaper designs. A little kid was standing near, book about bears in hand, watching me, an adult sitting on a chair fidgeting, shifting slightly in my seat to realign myself on each target cabinet of papers to get a better look. Mister. The bathrooms are upstairs. Ah. A do-gooder. Like me. Must encourage the youth. Thank you. You are very observant. Did you know raccoons are related to bears? He nodded gravely, turned and ran off clutching his book. Now I had a date. For a history of the building, its ownership and what hands it went through, off to the courthouse. The building permit was an easy start. First permit at that address, filed by a Richardson's Corp., wholly owned by the squire and his wife. 1933. Tax records showed taxes paid through 1976, the year he died. Always the same owner. Okay. But maybe the corporation changed hands. Corporation filings listed the couple until 1955, then just the squire. Why was that? Divorce? Any heirs on her side, perhaps from a remarriage? Death records showed her dying that year, 1955, still Mrs. Richardson. So her name was taken off the corporation when she died. Dead end. Did he remarry? Nope. Died a bachelor. Who owns the building now? The city. They took it for taxes, 1980. How could that be? Surely a will would have settled ownership. Looking, no will filed. So died intestate. Funny how many lawyers died without a will. So what happens to the property now? Back to building permits for clues. Looking for redevelopment plans. There, in 1988, a renovation plan filed by the city. Never executed. The hotel was obsolete, the rooms too small, no inset bathrooms, no air conditioning, no space between floors in an old brick building to install modern plumbing or piping. Two years later, demolition as part of a riverfront project. How did that fare? Denied. 
environmental impact statement quashed it. I felt confident now that anything left in the shell of the building had no clearance. Still, I was curious about what the current plans were. Maybe something in the news, since 1988 when it came up in the public consciousness again. Back to the library? Starting 1976, flip through thousands of pages quickly. There it is. Same old still shot from the year it opened, front view looking grand and impressive. The newspaper must have had that old picture in their files. The article was about a historic old building, failed attempts to get it preserved, plans to demolish it, delayed. The paper was sympathetic to the history angle, but resigned to its loss because of its age and condition. Interesting interview with an old lady, last housekeeper of the squire, discovered his body when he died, now, then, in her nineties. She claimed he had no heir, no relatives. Pretty much a recluse since his wife died, she had apparently been the social one in the couple. Fancy parties for fifty people in an elaborate dining room with crystal chandeliers. I saw that room, it was larger than my condo. She said he'd got dowdy at the end, said he'd leave the building to charity, some nature group though he never left the city in his life. Huh. When she left the penthouse the last time to take the elevator down, she dropped her key through the letterbox in the elevator lobby. She didn't want to be blamed for theft. Took some flack from the lawyers about that. I don't remember seeing that. Pretty small, easy to miss or forget. The end of the article showed previously unpublished pictures of the sleek private elevator entry hall. It took a key to operate. Fancy for the day. Also the chandeliers, a cartouche bed in the master bedroom, I remember that. All electric kitchen with modern appliances, installed in the fifties. Parquet floors. All that was still there, far as I remembered. The article ended with a summary of demolition accomplished to date stripping the fixtures from lower floors, mostly brass, removing the fancy elevator, boarding up to keep squatters away. I had what I needed. I could proceed, see if I still thought I could gain entrance. Take some pictures for Jill, she was interested in stuff like this. And she'd shoot me if I went up there and didn't have anything to show. The building was the second on the right after crossing the old bridge. I stood in the street and considered my options. It was empty at this point, no squatters but plenty of rodents. Two doors had been forced at some time, one on the side, one in back. Trash, squatter debris everywhere. Stairs at the side intact, navigable up two floors. From there the building had a step design, the upper floors smaller than the base. I'd have to cross the floor, out a window to the roof of the lower part, and up the fire escape on the other side. Enter a window at the top, cross over again, and a final fire escape to a window in the penthouse. I figure I could force that window, no problem. I went. All the while scanning for weak floors, loose plaster, rusty bolts ready to fail on iron staircases, anything that might kill me. Crossing inside the old hotel could have been creepy, narrow dark hallways, trash and holes in walls. I knew nobody was going to jump out at me, so that helped. Couldn't get lost, I could see the entire blueprint from anywhere. The plan went well until the final fire escape. I had seen the door but ignored the old brass padlock. No matter, with some forcing I got it open with my picks. Brass weathers pretty well, if it had been anything else it would be seized with rust. The final obstacle, double French door style windows. No obstacle at all. Just slip my pick between and raise the latch. The fire escape ended under an overhang so the weather had substantially been repelled, only a little water staining on the floor inside. All was still, dusty, dry as a tomb. Everything like the day he died but dustier. Looking around, orienting myself, I saw I was in the apartment proper. The elevator shaft was empty, as the article said. Elevator approached from a small lobby outside the apartment entryway, to control access during the day I guess, with a sturdy locking exterior door between. And indeed below the mail slot, a strange brass key. I went and fetched it, tried it on the apartment door it fit. The elevator lobby was still and dark. Creepy. I could see it without going there, but it isn't the same as being there. I don't sense the stale air, the dust in my nose, the total lack of air movement. I relocked the door and left the key where I'd found it, in honor of the housekeeper. Take pictures of all for Jill. The kitchen was still, the electric refrigerator motor having burned out probably decades ago, running for years unattended. Inside sludge, and I knew I would never open that refrigerator. The smell must be epic. One light still burned in the pantry, a strange bulb of antique design. They don't make them like they used to. Moss had eaten every last morsel of flour, rice, cereal, leaving nasty crumpled boxes and cartons. Different smell, grainy, mothy. The dining room, a ballroom really, half the entire floor. 
Chandeliers as reported, giant upside-down trees of crystal shapes. A label on the brass hanger of one Swarovski? The next Lalique. Must be immigrants, the installers? What a job hanging half a ton of glass from a brass skeleton on a ceiling twenty feet overhead. Must have taken days. Oak tables like a mess hall, in lines. Must be fifty oak chairs, goofy art deco design, hexagonal backs with legs like folding chairs but not. Who thought up this stuff? In the bedroom, those cartouche beds shaped like a pair of large throat lozenges. One bed unmade, stains on the mattress did he die there? A heart medicine bottle stood on the nightstand, empty. Perhaps that's what killed him running out of digitalis. Also on the nightstand a key like the one on the floor in the entryway. Lastly a crystal glass water set, long dried up. Suits in the closet, pressed and hung, hopelessly out of date, almost Victorian in style. A small man. No larger than Kane. Enough exploring. I was here for a reason. The office, in a corner room for the light I suppose. On the desk and in it, no paper dated later than the 1960s. He died more than a decade after. Retired? Apparently not long after his wife died. No heart for it I guess. Plush carpet, large geometric pattern hard to look at, still so thick I almost lose my shoes in it. And my goal, a safe behind a dusty painting, cleverly hidden. Painting by some Sonia Della, the signature obscured by time and dust. Strange geometric wedges and arcs, like some crazy parquet floor. Not my taste. Swing it open, and there it is. Cracking a safe is, for me, opening a safe. Locks are child's play. Especially a safe with a dial. Just turn left until the discs reset, then right-left-right aligning each disc with the retainer bar. Turn the handle click. Heave it open rusty as hell, dusty, it came free with a scree. Whoosh. Like opening Tut's tomb. Inside, just as I'd seen, a stack of papers, a small box. In the box my goal. First a necklace, segmented, big black spool beads interspersed with silver spacers. A huge flat oblong green stone the size of the palm of my hand, set with a spray of silver rectangular inlay. Like building seen from above, in perspective. Too simple for my taste. Primitive, slab-like. And a cocktail ring. My prize. A cabochon emerald, big, round. In a platinum setting engraved with hatch marks, pointy ovalish mounts set throughout with small diamonds in an old cut. The whole effect was of an eye. I'd been looking at that ring for years, wondering about it. The eye motif caught my imagination. My thing eyes. Is it too big? Too gaudy? It could be adjusted for fit the band was very small. People were smaller back then. But how would I know what size? Ask her sister, of course. And that emerald. Had to be nine or ten carats. Not perfect but good, deep color and fascinating depth. Pretty fancy, but was it nice enough? Pocket the ring. Glance at the papers. Some legal document. Hey. Last will and testament. Now we're talking. No lawyer ever came to check for a will? Ah. No key. His key was here. The housekeeper key was in the entryway. Probably had been the wife's key. No other keys, no children. So no lawyer could gain entrance, or be allowed to force entry without a will first. Catch 22. Folks, never lock up your will. Secure it in a public place, not a bank box, certainly not a safe. Maybe with your lawyer, or in a desk drawer, so it can be easily found when needed. Glancing through the will, pass the boilerplate to the bequests. The building was to be left to the Sierra Club. Were they around then? Or should have been left? Nobody ever saw this. There were no other particular bequests. Something about a trust fund, but his money was likely long gone, to lawyers and such. Personal effects like this ring were destined for the wrecking ball. The building and land but not the contents belonged to the Sierra Club. I have no issue with taking the ring with me. Take a picture of the will in the safe, then the safe in the room. For authenticity. Then take the will, pocket it, deal with it later. Taking the ring. The necklace? H.M. Give it to Kang? I owed her so much. Why not? It might be her style. Pocket that. Leave the safe door ajar, the painting swung wide. Easier for the next person, should there ever be a next person. Back out the French windows, jiggle to get the latch to fall. Down, relock the fire escape, keep anybody from getting hurt, an attractive nuisance. In the street I took one last look. Maybe this all would be demolished soon. Feels melancholy, all that history, those lives, just dust and abandoned detritus. Sigh. Jillian my second day, early, the boss in her office, nobody else there yet. Jill! Just in time. 
Mr. Gunderson is heading over. Be here any minute. Coffee? She had a little coffee maker, some paper cups. Why not? Schmoozing with the boss. Before I had time to more than take a sip, somebody comes into the outer office, fancy suit, shoes so shiny it's blinding, just bawling along like he owns the place. Into the boss office, no knock just barge right in I guess. Miss Crenshaw. Good to meet you, yeah? Let's get down to business. I got clients, good clients, rich clients, I told you their names you know. Value their confidentiality. Sometimes get in a spot of trouble, need a little help getting out. She took his hand gamely, shook it. I saw her wiping it on her jeans as she waved him to a seat. I stayed put in my corner, sipping my coffee, a fly on the wall. He never glanced at me, a nobody, not worth his time. I guarantee my clients, no defaults. No Zyri. So I'm looking for a bail bondsman, hair bonds girl, who's willing to make a deal, cut some slack, help out a fellow when he's down. Do I understand you wish to personally guarantee your clients? That's unusual. That would take deep pockets indeed. He smiled an unpleasant smile. Personally? No, I just represent them. But you can trust them. From the best families. All of good character. When I call, I want your best deal. I want quick action. I want my clients out within the hour. We do our best, but the wheels of justice grind at their own measured pace. Once we settle on terms, I cut a check, have a courier take it to the clerk. They register it, let it be known to the bailiff. The bailiff releases them once satisfied the particulars are all in order. That can take several hours. Well, see what you can do about that, Missy. Use your charms. Send this sweetie down. She looks like she could get a favor from your clerk, your bailiff. Doesn't take much but a smile and a tickle? You know what I mean. He leered at me, wiggled his eyebrows. We try to give good service to all our clients, Mr. Gunderson. I bet. I bet. Okay, good, I'm gonna call you before long. There's a young lad, appearance this week, nonsense about assault, some chica in a club, all lies of course. But he might be asked to be a guest of the state, don't want him to get his hands soiled in some holding cell. He shook her hand again, apparently having said all he had to say, swiveled and left the same way he came in, hell for leather, no time for pleasantries. We sipped our coffee for a time after the door banged on his ass. She sighed. So, what did you think? I don't like the guy, but I don't like many lawyers. She cracked a smile, hit it with her coffee cup. Persuasion is their business. Nothing is true or false, it's all goal-driven negotiation. I dated a guy like that. Not as greasy, but all about getting what he wanted. A smile, good. What about his referrals? I didn't have to think long. Rich doesn't mean pays on time. Just the opposite, they like their money, don't want to part with it. Except Greg, of course. He doesn't give a shit about money. Also flight risk. They have more resources, can fly to Columbia on a company jet, or whatnot if they get in too deep. Not caring about their obligations back home. Again, good. So what do you recommend about our rate? Highest, maybe tack on a hazardous duty surcharge. Tell them it's a special rate, for confidentiality or some shit, what do they know? She smiled broadly. Make a bail bondsman of you yet. Update the charge sheet, redistribute with his name the changes you mentioned. We talked briefly about the surcharge, came up with a rule. Ahem. What about the options we talked about yesterday? All business, she'd decided. Phones in the morning. Canvassing to fill those desks in the afternoon. Continue that until the desks are full. Got it, boss. I finished my coffee, crumpled the cup, dropped it into her wastebasket, and left her to it. The charge schedule sheet change took just a minute, penciled in on an existing sheet, down the hall for a baker's dozen copies, swapped out the sheets on every desk, left one on the boss, destroyed the old ones. Finished just as the morning crew arrived. Clever boss. If I want more responsibility, want to get off the phones, I have to deliver at this first task. Find my replacement on the desk. Respect. This was going to be an interesting job. Kang was waiting on the sidewalk when I arrived, walking from work a few blocks over and down. She nearly bubbled over when she saw me. Giving me a sisterly kiss on tiptoe, she linked elbows and squired me into the tea shop. In Vietnam town, it was French style inside with white linen tablecloths on tiny round tables for two. Silver tea services adorned teak side tables with elaborate throughwork, perforations in the top in a fine lacy pattern. Fancy. The hostess greeted us at a lectern, Kang chirped. Two. For me and my sister. It occurred to me, she'd never been able to do this before, to appear in public with a sister, to share tea and girl talk like her other friends. 
Consequently, she was in high spirits, nearly bouncing as we followed the hostess to a table by the window. She greeted several couples by name, sisters having tea, and introduced me as my sister Jilly. They responded politely, puzzlement on their faces but too polite to ask questions. As we sat I said, Jilly? Oh sisters have pet names. That's my pet name for you. I was unexpectedly touched. It wasn't what I would choose, but I didn't get to choose. My big sister could call me anything she wanted. The table service was bright red plates, tiny silver teaspoons and porcelain cups decorated with primrose. Wine glasses for cold tea. A silver tea set arrived immediately, unrequested, the pot steaming. All part of the service. So, what is this granddaughter duties talk Fuang wants to give me? Kang waved it away. Not much. No in-law parents, that would be most of it. Respect your sister, take her advice. Exasperated. That's why I'm here. For your advice. So that part's easy. Then honor ancestors. Starting with Fuang. I love Fuang. I want to care for him. Help you anyway. So, piece of cake. Say yes Ong Nguai, no Ong Nguai, you will do fine. The vowels were strange to me. Teach me to say that right. I tried it, and Kang laughed. Starting slow, she worked me through one syllable at a time, correcting my tone. Soon I had something approximating the honorific for maternal grandparent. Plus some other handy phrases. What else? The husband part. Honor your husband. Sleep with him when he's sad. Rub his back when he's sore. Let him lack for nothing in the home. I have no husband. But if I did, I think I could do that. Why marry him if I don't want to do that? Kang nodded. You'd be surprised how many forget to do the simple stuff. That's why laying out duties is so important. What a sensible sister I have. Kang spoke to a serving boy, rattled off something in Vietnamese. He departed. Decided the teapot had steeped enough, poured for us. Okay, so let's get you a husband. I'm gonna make that dress so Greg will rip it off. And fuck you. Sure. I was mortified, talking like that in a public place. Kang grinned. Silly, this is girl talk. All the tables are sisters here. Nobody notices what we are saying. They are saying the same things. Indeed, from what I could hear what wasn't in Vietnamese, the conversations were not much different. Lots of talk about boyfriends, girlfriends, sex. They were all sisters. Other pairs of sisters. Like us. I flushed, suddenly hot. This was going to take some getting used to. Kang continued, in a conspiratorial tone. Those two? Worried about their mother, stepping out with a younger man. I heard that man is her daughter's boyfriend. Gonna be fireworks when they find out. Presumably one didn't inform about things like that. Their own family business. Talking about it with sisters was okay, but never embarrass another family. Got it. See them? Talking about sex with husbands. One is bored, the other suggesting special tea to make him stand up, or some bondage silk ropes. I think her husband is gay. Wow, this was a hotbed of intrigue. Families were complicated. A minefield. Over there, talking about a girlfriend, the same one for both. Planning a birthday present. Nice family, nice girlfriend, I like them. We should go out sometime, go to a show together. That terrifies me, in an exciting way. I will have to get my feet wet in the multi-lover lesbian community sooner or later, having a highly social sex pistol sister like mine. Baby steps. The waiter returned with a precious porcelain sandwich stand holding an array of ridiculously petite cakes, tiny crustless sandwiches. Kang began loading her plate. Talking about sex, you have to see your dress. Not done, not a stitch so far, but it will be something, my best work. For my sister. For Greg to rip off. I was goofily pleased about that. I can't really let Greg rip it, can I? Your dresses are too special. This dress is for ripping. I will fix it after. Then he can rip it again. Now I understood. Her skills are legendary, and a rippable dress was elementary for her. I love you, sister. Of course you do, silly. I love you too. She paused, looked at me fondly. You cry a lot. It's okay. Silly younger sisters are like that. We drank the tea, ate the tiny food with tiny forks, smiled at each other. Lunch ended too soon. Gregory I was waiting outside the dress shop when Kang returned from lunch. She was bouncing with unspent energy. Lunch must have been a riot. I greeted her. She noticed me for the first time. Greg! Hey! Good to see you! How's your sister? I hope she paid for lunch. Your advice is worth so much more than lunch to her. Kang grinned, invited me in. 
What do you need? More shirts? Jillian tells me you hardly wear the clothes I make for you. She pouted. I raised my hands in surrender. They're so nice. I don't have a lot of opportunities. Beachcombing doesn't lend itself to nice clothes. What about, let's see, private investigating? She was teasing me, and I turned red appropriately. So why are you here? I, um, have something I want to show you. A ring. Can gasped, put her hand to her mouth, jumped up and down in place. Show me. Show me. Now. She led me to the back, swept some scraps off a cutting table, turned on a work light. Leaned on the table, looked me in the face eagerly. I took the cocktail ring from my pocket, laid it carefully between us. In the glow from her work light it gleamed, deep green center surrounded by a thousand points of light, dusky setting, richer than silver. It did look pretty nice. Mysterious even. She just stared for a long while, then picked it up, put it close to the light. She looked awestruck. Is it good enough? She looked at me like I am an idiot. For this ring, even I would marry you. Every young Vietnamese girl I know, you give them this ring, they'll wet themselves, and not with pee. It's astonishing. She turned it in her hand, squinted at the diamonds, put it under her bench magnifier, held it up in profile to gauge the size of the central stone. Kind of looked like a professional. Are all young Vietnamese women this expert at analyzing jewelry? Worth more than my shop. So that's a yes? Jillian might like it. She tried to put it on, but the ring was far too small. It fit on her pinky. She held her hand under the light, turning this way and that, admiring the view. Hmm? Oh yes, she will like it. For an engagement ring. It's too fancy for every day. A wedding ring later smaller, to wear all the time. I nodded, taking mental notes. Is it too soon? She was having a hard time paying any attention to me. Finally she took it off, set it on the table. Um, yes. Not yet. She's got to seduce you first. And talk with Ong Nguai. You can wait, it won't be long. I must have looked pleased, because she punched me in the shoulder. Hey, where did you get this? Not from a jeweler around here. I prevaricated. Uh, let's say in a thrift shop. She wasn't buying it. I'll come clean. She's family, or soon to be, I hope. I discovered it in an abandoned building. Everybody involved is long dead, with no descendants. Nobody on record owns the content of the building. She bought that. I was the finder. I could find this. So what size is Jillian? Can you ask her without giving too much away? I know exactly what size. I knew the first time I fitted her. Six and a half. This ring is three or three and a half. My face fell. Can it be resized that much? She nodded. Platinum, very ductile. Vietnamese jeweler, two streets down, sign hanging over the sidewalk, of a big fake diamond. Mention my name. I took the ring back, put it in my pocket. She seemed disappointed. Feeling it in my pocket, I remembered the necklace. Oh. I thought I should make some small gift to my prospective future sister-in-law? For all her help. Is that okay? I pulled out the necklace, piled it under the light. She was speechless. Straightened it out, laid it flat, stared. The green stone was rich, dark, like velvet or moss, the black beads dark as sin. The silver a little tarnished with age, but should polish up pretty. She looked up at me with tears on her cheeks. Coming around the table, she gathered me into a hug, silently, not trusting herself to speak. Finally, she released me. If Jilly doesn't marry you, I will never forgive her. Well, I'm hoping, with any luck, she'll overlook my many defects. This is Jade. It's good luck. Give Jade good luck for you, too. The biggest, finest, greenest, most perfect Jade I ever saw. Everything will be fine. Everything will work out now. Jilly will want you, it is certain now. I rang the bell. Some noise from the back, then a jeweler came through a beaded door. Little, old, very old. Wizened, like a gnome. Smiled a gold-toothed smile. May I help you? I put the ring on the counter, in a velvet-lined tray there for the purpose. He looked at me for permission, got it, picked it up. Fished a lens from his waistcoat, examined it closely. And what do you need? Cleaned? It is somewhat aged, a little tarnished, not been worn for, a long time. He seemed certain of that. Yes, please. And resized? Six and a half. Can you do that much? He turned it in his hand, looked at the band, nodded. Plenty to work with, platinum, very much doable. He set it down, looked at me seriously. I know this ring. You've seen it before? I asked, suspecting he hadn't. He shook his head. No.
I was a young man when it was made. For a very fine lady. By a very fine jeweler. I was an apprentice at another jeweler. But we all knew of it. He waited me out, content to let me stew. I was calculating backward in my head. She died in 1955. Had to have been made before that. Say 15 years. He was an apprentice, probably what, 20? It was possible, if he was in his 80s. Who was the lady? He nodded. That was apparently the right question. Mrs. Richardson. A granddaughter of old money, daughter of Alfred Vanderbilt through his third wife, getting married young, to a lawyer. He spent his fortune on this ring, to show he was worthy of the fine lady. That was sad, somehow. All that history, to end up abandoned in a safe for decades. May I tell you how I came by it? He nodded, very much wanting to know. I knew enough of propriety not to make an elder ask. Part of a job lot. Along with some jade, some other stuff. He alerted like a bird dog at the mention of the jade. A job lot was an auction term, for a box of miscellaneous stuff sold as a unit, usually because its value was not considered significant. Not traceable, as auction houses often kept sellers anonymous. A good enough lie. I bought it as an engagement ring. So it will be the second time, to please a young lady, to prove a fellow worthy. Oh. And Kane says to say hi. That took all the tension out of him. I thought he'd ask about the jade, but he turned back to the ring. It brought luck to the original owner. A prosperous land lawyer for early developers of this city. I hope it brings your young lady similar luck. I understood if I had wanted it valued, intending to sell it, he would have suspected its origin, questioned me more closely. But as an engagement ring his suspicion evaporated. And Kang's name was like a secret password. Open doors it seemed, or removed suspicion anyway. He brought out a velvet bag from a drawer, put the ring in, tied it securely. Wrote me a receipt, which was a formality. There was no replacing this ring, it was unique. Next week. Bring the lady to test the fit? No. I understand. Bring it back after, if it needs further adjustment, no extra charge. And I know Jillian will love the ring. A worthy lady indeed. He smiled a knowing smile. So my business was everybody's business. It was going to take some getting used to, this close-knit community. I shook his hand, left him smiling at the bag, remembering. Jillian my first independent project. I was to find and recruit employees for Crenshaw, fill the empty desks. All I had to do was find people desperate for a job, who wouldn't mind answering phones and butting heads with lawyers for hours a day. Simple. The usual suspects were out. Students high school was too young, and college students aspired to higher callings. Body shops provided temporary employment, but I needed long-term seats filled. What was left? Well, in a beach vacation town that left clubs. And who in a club wanted a job? People came here with mad money and dreams. Like me. Like me. How about that? Young folks stuck, like I was, at the end of their rope. Needing another chance, food, a warm bed, a job. Some simple human consideration. To make that work I'd need to provide more than a job. A meal was easy so many places to eat on the strip. A warm bed harder, unless I wanted to bunk with them. Greg would have something to say about that. But where did young people stay around here, when they didn't have a lot of money? Kelly! It was afternoon, she was idle at the moment, the board only half-lit. She turned, smiled, eyebrows up. Where do you live? She thought that a curious question, tilted her head, wondering whether to answer. I explained. They'll be looking for bodies to fill desks. Somebody unemployed and new in town. They'll need a place to stay, at least until their first paycheck comes in. Kelly caught on. Maybe even after that. The pay here is barely above minimum wage. I didn't know. I hadn't actually made any deal with the boss about my pay. Probably should correct that oversight soon. She continued. I stay in a rooming house, Vietnam town. Not sure it's everybody's cup of tea. The couple that own it are a dream, the fams. She's hard of hearing, he has a false leg, hobbles around. English is pretty sketchy. But you never met nicer people. They provide room and board, clean rooms, a bathroom down the hall you share with other housemates, supper every night. Pretty good, if you like Vietnamese cooking. Which I do. Paid weekly? Monthly, at least that's the deal I have. Didn't even need first months up front, like apartments require. I just had to pass an interview, which means talking to Mrs. Pham. She likes you, you're in. Sounded like the deal I was looking for. I got an address from Kelly, headed out. First things first see if they had any rooms available. 
The place was maybe half a mile, on a cross street near the hilltop neighborhoods, the fancy part of town. This street was the transition, right after a commercial zone of tire shops and vacuum cleaner stores, fast food and dry cleaning. And before the really nice places. The houses were ridiculous queen and style, narrow, three stories, porch, gingerbread and shutters and lots of slopes to the roofs. Most were not in the best condition, the gingerbread getting spotty, most houses painted a uniform gray or white, erasing the character. Yards turned to parking strips or painted gravel to eliminate yard maintenance. It was a blessing to find the fams this place was maintained, the trim all in place, the siding original. Trim could use a new paint job, but not too shabby yet. And the yard? All lush grass. Rose bushes trained to trellis, hydrangeas bracketing the porch. A flower bed that ran along the sidewalk, shorter plants in front and taller behind, really sharp looking. An older gentleman was sitting by a bed, trowel in hand, digging out some damaged plants. A tray of transplants next to him on the grass. I greeted him. Um, I had been learning from my sister, knew this was how to greet Grandpa Fuang, hoped it was appropriate in this situation. He looked up, smiled to see me. Emu, which I assume is for an elder greeting the young. I smiled back. I am here to ask about a room. He nodded, gestured to the porch with the trowel. I smiled my thanks, stepped respectfully around his flower bed and made my way up. A woman of indeterminate old age sat at a picnic table, pulling petals from flowers, putting them in a basket. I used my only other Vietnamese. Bah! She smiled, patted the table, so I climbed onto the bench opposite her. Jillian, I introduced myself, speaking loudly. She nodded, kept smiling. Kelly sent me. She continued smiling. Kelly! I'm looking for a room for a young um woman? Do you have rooms available? She nodded. Three rooms. Top floor. Stair only. No elevator. That last on a sad note, apologetically. May I see a room? I wanted to be sure. Kelly had vouched for them but who knew if the top floor was as nice as whatever Kelly was in. She didn't seem to get that. I pointed at my eyes with forked fingers, then up at the third floor. She lit up, understanding. Fooling with a key loop on her dress she searched, found one she liked, unhooked it, gave it to me. Look. Come back. Bring key. I smiled and nodded, struggled out of the picnic table. The front door was ajar, so I went in. The entry was a busy room. Mailboxes on one wall nine of them. I assumed there were maybe four rooms on each of the top two floors, making eight. The last one was likely for the fans themselves. A side table was a family shrine, incense sticks burning in a vessel of sand, a fruit bowl stacked with oranges. Four pictures on the wall, ancient black and white of elaborately dressed adults in decorated wooden chairs, plus one of a middle-aged woman, highly airbrushed. A stuffed chair in a pink chintz pattern sat in the corner. To the left was a door to a dining room, a long table with ten sturdy wooden chairs. Straight ahead the stairs. I began climbing. Sixteen steps to the second floor. These old places had high ceilings, eight or nine feet. I found myself in a hallway that ran to the back of the house. Two doors were visible at the far end, one on each side. A bathroom was opposite, the door ajar, an enormous roll-top bathtub on claw feet visible. Behind me, more hallway. I went that way. At the far end, two more doors, one on each side. No numbers, just blank doors. I guess if you lived here, you knew which was yours. And the staircase to the top floor. It ran over the lower staircase, one above the other. Narrower, steeper, it looked daunting. I jogged up, my shoes just beginning to hurt. I'd taken a cab this morning, trying to save my blistered foot. All that was undone by my hike up here and now these stairs. At the top, the same layout except the hallway was narrower. A bathroom door in the middle, a door on each side at each end. Which did Mikey fit? Hard to tell. It was unlabeled. So were the doors. Only one way to find out. Starting at the far end I knocked, heard no reply. Of course not. Everybody was at work. Tried the key no luck. Same on the other side. Hike down the length of the house, try the next door. No luck. It's always in the last place you look. This time the key worked. The door swung open on oiled hinges, revealing a pretty room with a large double sash window. Wallpaper with more chintz pattern. Some kind of carpet on the floor, worn in places but not bad, no obvious stains. And a bed. Brass rails, for poster with a shiny knob on each corner. I sat and bounced, pretty fair mattress. Bedside table, tiny but serviceable. Over by the window a hard stuffed chair. And a wardrobe. 
Opening it I found two pillows, a folded blanket, sheets in lurid colors yellow, orange. Some towels, washcloths, thin but spotless. I could find no fault with the room. Some pictures, some personal items in the wardrobe, on the bedside table, you could call it home. Well, a port in a storm for the girls I was looking to recruit. The door on the inside had a bolt. So when you were home, you could feel safe. That was important. I approved. Lock up and down the stairs, feet complaining again, out the front and sit at the table again, hand over the key. Very nice. Pretty rooms. She was all smiles, nodded, kept plucking petals. You stay? How long? Job? This was the interview. I was going to have my work cut out for me, explaining my plan. I kept at it, repeating that it was not for me, but for a girl without family. No, I didn't know her name. I wanted to have a place for her when I found her. Yes, I could pay. No problem with the money. I had money. At one point she got a severe expression, kept asking me. D? D? I didn't understand. She made a rude gesture for sex, which translated without any words. I turned pink, shook my head no. No. Did she think I was a madam, looking to keep my string of girls here? No. I tried to explain. Lost girl. No family. I want to help lost girls. That connected. She softened, nodded, looked thoughtful. I will have a job. I have a job for the girl. She will have money. Every week. Good work. Safe work. Finally she relented. Bring girl. I talk, girl talk, I decide. Okay? She wasn't so much speaking in dialect as using her limited vocabulary to try to get ideas across to this thick American, using as few words as possible so I would understand. That was as good a deal as I was going to get. I put out my hand, she shook it. I guess the deal was done. I offered to pay, got out my wallet, but she put up a hand palm out no. After one month. Okay, that's the way she wanted it, I would have to do it her way. I disentangled myself from the picnic table again, waved, got a smile and a wave. She never quit stripping flowers, had quite a bowl full by now, the naked strip stalks piled high. One day I would ask what that was for. Crossing the lawn I said goodbye in the only way I knew to Mr. Fam. Tam beat. He nodded but didn't stop digging, didn't look up. I guess I did okay. Back down the hill to the strip, my feet really starting to complain. Arriving, it was mid-afternoon, the club's quiet. They really got going after dark. But lost girls would be here all day, not just during club hours. I remembered how I had spent three terrible days haunting the strip, not sure what to do next, wishing I could find food. Getting chased out of bars and restaurants when they found I had no money. Ignoring my plea for a job interview. I didn't really fault them. They saw this sort of thing all summer, got hard into it. But did anyone ever really get used to that? Sending a young person away hungry? Nobody was walking the pier. The place was dead. If somebody was down and out, they were hiding out somewhere. I had an idea. Approaching the first bar, a flashy joint with lots of chrome and red vinyl, I slid onto a bar stool, ordered a Coke. The bartender didn't remember me. I'd been dressed in my club costume back then, how long ago, with a desperate hungry look. Now I was a prosperous businesswoman with nice clothes and a bulging wallet. Hey, you ever get any young people here, asking for work? High and dry, out of luck? He got a guilty expression, looked over my shoulder at the waves rolling in, nodded. Sometimes. I have to send them away. We can't have them bothering the customers. Policy. I had heard all that. It's dumb to hear it again. I'm hiring for a job, manning a phone desk. I need folks pretty regularly to fill in. Next time that happens, could you tell them to try me? I jotted Greg's condo number on a napkin, handed it to him. He didn't look at it, just stuffed it under the register. Sure. He looked like he wanted to say more, but didn't. I took a pull from the coke, pushed it away, got up to leave. He called to me. I don't like it, telling them to leave. Are you for real? This isn't some scam, prostitution or something? I turned, faced him. No scam. A real job, a room in a boarding house. Just doing my part to help out where I can. He nodded, not quite convinced. What could I say? He didn't trust me. Why should he? When I got outside I looked back, saw him pull my number out, look at it, start to wad it up. Then he stopped, spread it out on the bar, flattened it, put it back under the register. This might work. I didn't know how often it happened, but giving even one girl a break was better than doing nothing. He was sitting at the bar, stuffing some papers into a mailing envelope. Some photos strewn about. Watch Opto? 
I slipped off my shoes, picked up a photo. Some dusty elevator room. Returning something. He looked chipper. I went up to that hotel penthouse today. It was safe. I looked at every bolt, made sure nothing was going to cave in. My alarm lessened. Why the pictures? Another one, of a chandelier the size of a VW bug. So you could see too. He seemed proud of that, so I leaned across the bar, gave him a nice smooch. You went all the way up there, just to show me? That was sweet. The next picture was a dusty kitchen, really old appliances, like on old TV shows. Also to get this. He pulled the papers out of the envelope, held them up. Last will and testament. But he died, what decades ago? Is this still good? Well, the building is still there, the city took it for taxes because, no will. But now there is one. I raised an eyebrow. This has to be your biggest return ever? A whole building? He nodded. But how can anybody still be alive, after all this time? He grinned smugly, turned the pages to one labeled bequests, pointed to a line. I squinted. Sierra Club. Cool. I frowned, looking at a picture of an open safe. Unless the city lawyers kick up a fuss. I imagine Sierra Club has lawyers too. Maybe they'll want it. If it's worth anything, the city couldn't sell the building. I'm just the messenger, the rest is up to them. I was staring at a photo of a ballroom, with tables crowded in the middle, surrounded by chairs. Weird Art Deco chairs. I, I think they'll want it. I sifted through the other shots. The office, the bedroom, the paintings on the walls. Put all these pictures in the envelope. Why? They're for you. I've seen them. Sad, dusty old place. I see what you mean. Sometimes it's melancholy, seeing all this lost history. I understand you a little better now. Thank you for doing this for me. You are a love. But yes, put the pictures in with the will. Trust me. Anything else you learned about the fixtures, the paintings? He considered. Somebody Sonia D? Ha. Huh. And the names of the chandelier workmen, they put their names on the brass mounts. Some immigrant names Lalik, Saraski, something like that. We're probably the first to see that since the day they got installed. I rolled my eyes, asked for a pen. He glanced at the countertop, said. Second drawer, left of the silverware. I fished it out, wrote carefully on the back of the chandelier pictures, Lalik, and Swarovski. Added, right, to the other ballroom picture. Sonia D., to the office picture. He looked at me curiously. I didn't tell him, let him find out later. I just gathered up the photos, stuffed the pile in with the will. He occupied himself with writing out a sticky label, pasting a wad of stamps on the envelope, setting it by the door for later. I occupied myself with stripping, changing into sweats, a t-shirt, my beach shoes. Ah. Relief. We spent the evening cuddling on the porch love seat, watching the shadows get long, sipping some wine, unwinding. This was restful for him. The sea was uncomplicated. That's why he bought the condo I think it's on an isolated point of land, giving him open vistas in three directions. Could you always do it? I didn't have to say what. He knew. He sipped, arranging his thoughts. I don't think he told this story before. No. It came on about four. Mom worked shifts at the brake pad plant. Soon as I was old enough potty trained, talking off to preschool. That must have been cool. Superpowers like Spider-Man? It scared the shit out of me. I'd have these disturbing dreams, like I was inside something and couldn't get out. Or something was in me, inside me. Normal safe stuff turning weird inside out. I could see bones, skeletons. And other squishy stuff, disgusting stuff. Cars were terrifying monsters with fierce violent parts, spinning, exploding, thrashing around like something trapped, trying to get me. I snuggled in closer, put my head on his shoulder. Mom called it night terrors. I'd wake up, she'd be holding me, crying, my sheets wet with sweat. I'd have been screaming stuff. That's my most vivid memory of my mom, holding me. She sounds like a great mom. He nodded. It was hard on her. Work ten hours a day, then have to be up with a scaredy cat kit. I was humiliated. How did you manage? You were a little kid. No idea what was going on. Nobody to help you understand. I was in swimming lessons, dad took me. He had a bad back, worked for a flower shop delivering. A lot of free time. I was terrible at swimming. Organizing my arms and legs and breathing, all together at once, was a struggle. I thought the stuff in my head was like that. If I could get the parts working together, maybe it would go away or be something I could stop. Or at least learn to swim. Did you? Learn to swim? Sort of. No. 
Straighten up, punch him in the shoulder, put my head back down. Yeah, I remember when it first came together, when I was awake. Snack time, trying to lift my juice box with the Jedi mind trick. Nerd. All the kids were doing it. Staring at my juice box and rocking in my seat was pretty normal stuff back then. Nobody said anything anyway. I was fishing around in my head, looking for the part that would let me lift my juice box in the air. And I found the part that let me see dot. What was it like? First the room kind of blossomed, like those fake 3D displays in CSI the TV show. The stuff in the classroom sprouted into slinky shapes, all the layers spilled out every which way. I didn't like that. I made them go back, line up, nest properly. It worked. The first time I had any kind of conscious control. I was shaking excited. Still my attention wandered around the room as soon as I relaxed, seeing over my head or behind me. Inside me. Startling. I tried to focus it, grab it, make it stay in one place. It squirmed and flitted around. I was pushing instead of pulling or something. The harder I tried the wilder it got. I'd relax, stop doing it, breath. You could stop doing it. Back then. I'm telling this story? Sorry, continue. Anyway I got my hands on it, made it stay steady right in front of me, right where I was looking. And that was it? Now you had a superpower? No. It took weeks, all the rest of the school year. By the time summer came I had it focused like a searchlight, just a narrow beam where I was staring, only when I wanted it. Teacher thought I was goofing off, always staring into space. Giggle. Get an elbow in the ribs. Kiss him on the cheek, settle back in. What did you use it for? A little kid, not looking at girls' underwear? I started finding money then. Walk to the pool, walk home a different route, find different things. Lots of coins at the pool, dropped by kids. I'd come home with my pockets jangling. And I could sleep now. I would lay on my back, focus my attention up, into the air. Because the air is safe, no scary monster cars or walking skeletons or animated guts. I could get to sleep and sleep all night. Mom thought I'd grown out of the night terrors. Maybe I had? Maybe lots of kids start doing this, struggle to make it stop. Maybe I just came out on the other side from most, one in a million, controlling it instead of stopping it. I don't know. I never had night terrors. So you're still special? Not sure I ever felt special. Kissed him again, dithered his hair with one finger. You're special to me. That's not how it works now. He sighed, drank some more wine. I was 18, a senior and never been kissed, skinny and awkward. Already the target of bullies and teasing. It got all different, started to misbehave again. I'd be flashing on things in the next room or outside. It'd turn on by accident, once I'm doing an essay, creative writing. Ms. Brunel writing at the board, a nice student teacher, I had a crush on her. And suddenly I saw her, all of her. Even thought I had my head down, my attention on my work. Bones and blood and muscles, guts. And skin. Tits and bare legs and oh. Her lady parts. I broke out in a sweat, and came in my pants. I'm afraid I laughed. My poor baby. All hormone soaked and perving on his teacher. Messing his undies in class. Petulantly. It's not funny. Sweetie, it was funny for everybody, we all did it. But most of us had to use our imagination. Poor Greg. I put down my wine glass, hugged him, snuggled in. I think he found it comforting that I found his story relatable, a thing a normal person might do. Just a funny story about discovering sex, something for me to look at him fondly about, tease about. I do love you. My teacher perv boyfriend. He sighed that patient sigh, that means he knows I love him. Anyway I spent the next few weeks with my head down trying not to look at girls. Didn't work. It was misery. Mom was gone by then, dad too, I was living with my uncle. An older guy, nice as heck but too old to remember being a boy. Tried to talk about girls with me but getting it all wrong. Trying. I guess I loved him. That was sad, going through that with no parents. Well, I could identify with that. I'd have only my peers in the home, and they were pretty messed up and ignorant. I believed you couldn't get pregnant the first time, and anal didn't count, and condoms could give you herpes. When I was 18. He had more to tell. I practiced in the garage, looking at tools on the wall one at a time, trying to get my focus back. Uncle thought I was sneaking out to look at girly magazines. Finally after a month I was able to focus. Get it in sync with where I was looking. A defense mechanism, so I could look away. But now, it's on all the time. The off switch is gone, or hiding, or burned out. Maybe I outgrew it? Exhausting at first. Then I got stronger, 
like a muscle that's sore when you start exercising but then you get bulked up, can do easily what was hard at first. Could you do it that way again? All around you, aware of the whole world at once? Not sure I want to go there. I'd look like a zombie, or like a blind person, moving around without looking where I was going. I'd be a standout. It's hard enough to look normal now. Already I can see in the dark, with my eyes closed. I thought on that. Normal is overrated. How about, let's be ourselves instead. He kissed me smiled. Okay. I can be that. For you. I showed up after work, having received a summons from my sister early this morning. Half asleep I answered the phone, she'd apparently been up all night, wanted me to come over right away. But just this once I pulled her chain, told her that older sister or not, I had to go to work, could come over after. She was in the back when I went in, with a customer, a woman her age. Giving the lady bejesus over a beautiful dress, torn halfway down one side. It was in Vietnamese so I didn't get any details, but she was steamed. The lady left the dress and beat a retreat, red-faced and embarrassed. She ranted on for a minute until she remembered who I was, switched to English. I don't care it was their anniversary, he doesn't get to ruin my dress. No respect. It'll take hours to fix. Look at that. That panel. And that. Has to be ripped out, replaced, match the dye lot, maybe it can't be done. What, I start over, make her a new dress from scratch? Who does she think she is? I waited, hands behind my back, waiting for her to run down, not a little concerned. I'd never seen her in this mood. She tossed the ruin onto a pile of scraps, looked at it with her hands on her hips, angry. Picked it up again, running down, thoughtful now. But maybe a different dress, without that panel. Open on the side, stitch top and bottom, tension over the shoulder to make it lay flat. H.M. She has the tits for it. H.M. She saw me again, smiled. Tossed the ruin back on the pile. Hey! Chili! I did it! Last night I had a vision, saw what your dress was going to be, your Greg fuck me dress. So I made it. It's everything. Sexy. Beautiful. Dangerous. Sexy. You will make it move like snakeskin, make it live. You have to try it. Strip. How long have you been awake? What have you eaten today? She looked blank. Huh? I don't know. Take off your clothes. Look at this. She had all the symptoms of an artist driven mad by lack of sleep and caffeine. Eyes bright, emotions a roller coaster. Her teapot smoking on the burner, clearly boiled dry. Probably been drinking caffeine all night, working all day. I set the pot aside, turned off the burner. I was interested in that dress. Show me. She had a sheet over a dress dummy, plucked the corner, whipped it up and away. There on the dummy was an astonishing little black dress, breathtaking in its brevity, heart-stopping in its shocking design. Kang took my blazer, stripped it off. When she reached to unbutton my blouse, I put a hand out. You eat something, then I'll try on the dress. Don't be silly. That's the deal. What do you have here? She looked frustrated, then put a hand to her stomach, surprised. I'm hungry. She scrounged a bag of sesame candy, some leftover brown rice, started stuffing it in. Reached for her teacup, I headed her off, dumped it, filled it with water. She took it, looked outraged, then drank it in a single pull. Once her stomach was appeased she absently set the bowl on a shelf. There were two other bowls up there. Now I let her strip me. It was fun. Not long ago we'd considered being lovers. I still thought she looked cute as shit. When she went for my panties, I objected. I have to wear some underwear. Her head popped up, looked me square in the eyes, alarmed. No underwear. Nothing is to go under. Just you. All you. You and the dress. The whole point. The panties went. She started on the dress, unhitching it from the dress dummy. It was mostly a black satin with a form-fitting lace bodice, shaped and lined with sheer fabric. There were no straps, no obvious way it would actually stay on me. It had a skirt, I guess. Just a ruffle of silk to cover the crotch, a little longer on one side. She finished untying and unbuttoning, pulled a silk ribbon on one side, it fell open like a clamshell into her arms. Put the ribbon in her teeth. Arms out, she said, but muffled by the ribbon. I raised my arms obediently, feeling quite vulnerable, stark naked in front of my sister, utterly open to her. She didn't seem to notice, all business now. Crouched, she made me raise one foot, slipped a band on, then the other. Scooted the whole arrangement up my legs to my crotch, snugged it in place. To my relief the dress had something like panties built in, a thong really. 
The dress was closed on one side, open on the other. She put her arms around me, her face to my armpit, struggled to reach the scraps of fabric and pull them into place and closed. Hold this. I bent one elbow to keep the bodice up with the palm of my hand. She took the ribbon from her mouth, threaded the silk through some loops up her side, threaded back down again. Held that while she tugged and adjusted. Let go! I cautiously released the dress, surprised to find it stayed put. It still gaped on the side opposite the closure. She tied a loose knot in the cord. Coming around Kang started at the bottom, began bunning a series of black pearl buttons through tiny buttonholes, closing the gap. She took care, not putting any stress on them, just getting them through the tiny holes but not tugging. Going back around she untied the silk, tugged a little here and there, snugged up the ribbon and tied it in a cute bow. Standing back, she admired the fit. Turn! So I turned on bare feet, small steps, slowly revolving around and back to face her. Her face was shining. You make it work. You make my dress look like heaven. Oh Jillian, I love sewing for you, designing for you. You have such boobs. A butt. Oh those hips. She was beside herself. Compared to her tiny girlfriends I did have a butt hips. I looked over my shoulder at a mirror, to look at myself. But I wasn't there. Some strange beauty was there, in a black predatory sleeve of conquest that hid nothing, outlined everything. The bodice reached barely to the center of my breasts, just covering my nipples. Nothing at all on the back, naked to my waist. But bare, legs bare. Where's the rest of it? I blurted. I was alarmed. Could I go out in this? Go to a club in this? It doesn't even cover my boobs. Kang stepped in front, considered my chest. Thrust her hand into the bodice, tugged my boobs as high as they would go. Leaving them bursting out the sheer fabric, my nipples a ghostly outline in silk just below. I didn't have a lot, but in this dress it looked like a million bucks. I had a hundred questions. Why is the skirt mostly not there? You can't dance properly in a full skirt. Full skirt? That's not even enough for a belt. And I don't know if Greg even dances. She looked at me like I was her silly younger sister. Oh, he'll dance. He'll dance with you in this dress. I guarantee. He won't take his eyes off you. He will follow you anywhere, do anything you ask. What will Fuang think? He'll think. Fuang saw the dress. He smiled, he approves. He knows it will get the job done. He's no fool, not really. That shocked me about as much as the dress did. Was everybody conspiring to get Greg to fuck me? Jesus. Kang went into big sister advice mode. See the silk ribbon? For getting out. Just pull the bow, pull the ribbon out, it falls off, you step out. See the buttons? They are for ripping. Held by a single thread. Greg grabs here, pulls. Never bend over. Sit upright, not leaning back. Dance like this. Kang demonstrated the upright rigid posture, hands down by her waist, stepping to an imaginary beat. Raised one hand over her head, dance turning, showing off, looking darling. I'd seen women in the clubs do that. Now I knew why. Okay, I'll try. Standing straight, arms loose but not floppy, step, 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 wiggle. Raised my arm, turning, slightly rotating my hips, my shoulders, feeling the dress move. Like a dream. Nothing scratchy, everything like a second skin, part of me. Kang had stopped, frozen, forgetting to dance, hand over her head, just watching me. Her mouth open. Is it okay? Is something falling off? Am I doing it right? She remembered to breath. It's okay. Breathing hard. I am so good. This is the best fuck me dress I ever made. I flushed bright red. You could see it all the way down my shoulders and chest. It was too much. I stepped to her, hugged her, held her. She hugged me back. A button went pop. Bounced on the floor, rolled under the cutting table. I giggled, let go of her. She looked alarmed, then smiled, laughed with me. I love my sister.